welcome to the Portugal Podcast 2022 FIFA World Cup Part 5. As the Selecao lose 2-1 against South Korea Republic, but stay top of Group H after the 3-2 win against Ghana and 2-0 win against Uruguay. My name is Matthew Marshall and he's Tom Cundit. Tom, what's happening? Hi there, Matt. Yep, all good here. Uh, how are you? By the, uh, by the sounds of it, a little bit under the weather. Give us a little update. What's the latest from Qatar? Honestly, Tom, it's the, the Groundhog Day continues. Now it's going to change a bit because uh, FIFA are only allowing journalists to apply for one match per day. So I've got all the 10 o'clock matches, which doesn't change at all. I think I've been to almost every 10 o'clock match at this World Cup, Tom. <laughs> and uh, But yeah, I get a little bit more time to myself during the day and I'll be watching some games on TV, which I really haven't done since I got here. I just caught little bits and pieces while I've been working, but I haven't sat down to watch a game on television since I've been here. So uh, that little bit of a change to the routine. But apart from that, really nothing to report, Tom. I haven't really got out there. I've just been doing my thing. The bus driver situation hasn't changed. <laughs> it's amazing that after 10 days, almost two weeks, bus drivers still don't know where they're going. Yeah, you're right. I'm under the weather a bit. Just a combination of lack of regular sleep and also just the air conditioning, Tom. It's just insane. Of course, so much t- talk about the heat here in Qatar, it's not overly hot. It's around, around this time of day, around midday, it's quite hot. You know, it's around 30 degrees, I would say. And you walk outside, you're sweating a bit, but they, they overcompensate with the air conditioning, Tom. You know, in the stadiums, you're freezing a lot of the time, especially the night games. And you really notice it in the buses where they're just pumping the air con 16, 17 degrees. And this is, you know, around midnight. So, yeah, I think it's a combination of that, just too much air con everywhere you go. And so that combination of, changing the temperatures i don't think it's good and i think there's going to be a whole lot of people basically feeling the way i am now i think i caught something they said a whole lot of the netherlands players have a i'm not sure if it's flu or some kind of cold going around and they reckon they might be a little bit depleted for the for the game against usa i wonder if that's got something to do with it i'm not sure if their training area is air conditioned like all the stadiums but um yeah it's definitely something to to consider here the fact that they just, and even in Lusail, I've heard a lot of people going there and, and the, you walk down the street, it's air conditioned. So it's a whole other story. But look, Tom, I'm, uh, I'm gathering a fair bit of thoughts here. And if you thought I was going soft on Qatar, then <laughs> you're going to have another thing coming. That's for sure. But I'm going to leave a whole lot of that till the last episode, I would say, till, uh, till I'm basically uh, one step away from leaving here. Obviously, we don't have a huge reach, Tom, and I know that the, uh, the chances of the Qatari authorities listening to our podcast are very low. Yeah, I'm starting to come to a fair few conclusions about Qatar, and, you know, it, it really ties into just just the way that the modern world is. And um, as I said, yeah, I'm still sort of formulating how I want to go about that. That'll be in the finale, hopefully, after Portugal win the tournament. So let's break this one down, Tom. Portugal against South Korea Republic. I'm going to cover both bases when I talk about them. We had six changes from Fernando Santos, and (laughs) and we basically predicted, you know, most of them, didn't we? Antonio Silva, he was a no-brainer. He made his competitive debut. We saw Diogo Delo came in at right back, which saw Cancelo switch to the left back. Pep held his spot in central defence. And Ruben Neves, another guy held his spot despite being on the yellow card. And Mateus Nunes and Vitinha coming into midfield. Ronaldo kept his spot up front and he was flanked by Ricardo Horta and João Mario. Tom, how was this match for you sitting there in Portugal watching on TV? Well, obviously, you know, the outcome wasn't the most desirable outcome. Uh, it wasn't 
Uh, I'd say, you know, it was a little bit of an, a giveaway match for Portugal. Obviously, it was almost impossible for them. Well, it would have, it would have needed remarkable results for them not to finish first. Uh, and I thought, to be perfectly honest, I don't think Portugal played too badly. You know, there's a lot of analysis by, uh, I think, even fans and even journalists, really. is so re- result-based, isn't it, Matt? You know, Portugal lose in the last minute and suddenly it's a terrible performance. Portugal had held out for the draw or even snatched a win, which wouldn't have been an injustice given the way the match was. I thought it was pretty even throughout perhaps Portugal on top for most of it. You know, all the analysis and all the talk would have been very different. Uh, So, yeah, obviously not good to lose. But, you know, in some ways you can say most of the objectives for Fernando Santos were achieved. Portugal finished top, no injuries, no more yellow cards. A lot of players got rest. I was feeling positive after Portugal's first two games. Uh, I'm not really feeling any less positive now. Yeah, me too. And I think the feeling with most of the journalists was the same. I saw a lot of journalists basically just getting out of there early. I contemplated hanging around for the press conference and then I decided that was going to be a waste of time. I thought of some questions to ask Santosh and then I was thinking his answers were going to be short, sweet and boring. And I had to get to the uh, the, the Brazil game and uh, I would have had to get a taxi there. So I just decided to leg it and get the bus there and, and start finishing my report on the bus. And yeah, it was a bit of a nothing game in many ways. We saw Dalot uh, assist Ricardo Horta in the fifth minute, so it was a great start. I still haven't figured out what Ronaldo was doing for the equaliser, Tom. He sort of turned his back on a, on a corner that came in and it fell into the path of Kim Young-Guan. And then Portugal really finished the first half strong, I thought, and, and half-time came at the wrong time for the Salasal. And maybe they got wind of that of the, the score in, in uh, Ghana, Uruguay and basically realized that uh, there was no threat of them uh, losing top spot. That second half obviously opened up. Uh, South Korea really, they had to win here to have any chance of going through. And it was a slightly bizarre winner, wasn't it? In added time, it was a Portugal corner cleared out to Jung Min Song. He ran almost the length of the pitch, three defenders converging on him. And the classy player he is, he just rolled the ball into Huang He Chan, who uh, made a nice finish. You know, they had to wait a little while to get confirmation that they were going through, but tremendous for them. And for Portugal, yeah, just uh, one of those things where really sloppy goal to concede, or two really sloppy goals to concede. So I don't think Santos will be too worried, and I don't think it's really going to affect the squad too much. Of course, this comes time after France did exactly the same thing. They lost against Tunisia with a weakened lineup. And then we saw Spain shocked by Japan with a weakened lineup and then of course after this game we saw Brazil basically completely second string side and second string subs losing to Cameroon so Portugal are just one of four teams who are into the round of 16 that were leading the group and did exactly the same thing let's talk about some of these changes he made Tom Diogo Dalo he came in at right back Cancelo to left back of course this is due to Nuno Menge suffering that injury which looks like his tournament is going to be over and what a fantastic start it was from Dalo he got released by Pep down the right wing Beat his man into the box. Beautiful pass across to Ricardo Horta, who couldn't miss. He latched onto a long ball from Diogo Costa and uh, tested the goalkeeper. And as we've seen throughout some of his uh, his games for the Celestial, just really getting so heavily involved in attack in the final third. Something we hadn't really seen from Cancelo. Maybe that's due to the, the formations we, fought, we saw from Ghana and Uruguay. And he also had a pretty difficult defensive duty here, marking... South Korea's best player in Hoang Min Son, but so I thought largely he did he did well defensively. He's made a claim to to be a starter for the next match and moving forward in Qatar, Tom. 
Yeah, agree absolutely. He was my man of the match, uh, especially that first half. He was he was absolutely superb. You know, really dangerous going forward. Really good decision making. You know, uh, very good crosses put into the box. Yeah, and defended well as well. Uh, in the second half, uh, again, perhaps uh, his performance level dropped a little bit, like most of the Portugal players. But yeah, I thought he played so well that first half, and he really has played well, hasn't he, this season for his club and also for Portugal when he's had the opportunities. Of course, he scored those two goals in the Czech Republic. He really has made a strong claim for that uh, you know, right-back spot, absolutely. Especially, I would say, uh, because, in my opinion, Cancelo wasn't perfect, but probably had his best game uh, at this World Cup uh, on the left. And so I think that really could be something, you know, going forward. We've talked about this, you know, we've had questions about this, haven't we, Matt? Over the last few pods, a lot of people calling for Dallo to play and for Cancelo to be put on the left. We kind of poo-pooed it because we're both, you know, huge fans of Nuno Mendes. And I think there's no doubt in my mind if Nuno Mendes was fit, he would be the left back, full stop. But yeah, you know, he's out. And so, yeah, I think there's a very good chance that this will be Portugal's, uh, you know, fullback options. Yeah, for sure. And I just wanted to point out to any listeners that didn't catch our first episode, then you really need to go back and listen to that because there's a lot of things we said about all the players in the squad that we're not going to really repeat. So, um, yeah, do yourself a favour and, and, and go and listen to the first one. You'll get a better idea of what we're talking about in this episode. Antonio Silva, Tom, this was a no-brainer because uh, Danilo's injury and the yellow card to Ruben Dias and also the need to give Antonio Silva some game time in case he's required in the knockout rounds. Of course, he's had a really rapid rise, making his debut for Benfica not so long ago, playing all six Champions League games and just an incredible start to his career, isn't it? Just phenomenal. He's become the youngest player to ever play for Portugal in the World Cup. And he did quite well here. Not a massive test against um, the South Korean striker, Gae Sung, but he did quite well overall. He came off his line a few times to make some challenges. And overall, this was just perfect for, for what Fernando Santos was looking for. No real drama from him and getting him acclimatised to the Salasal in a competitive match. Yeah, absolutely. He's, you you really got to hand it to him, uh, don't you? You know, every this season... Every step of the way, when he's been asked to, you know, take that next step in his career at such a young age, he's just given the perfect response, hasn't he? You know, Benfica forced to play, really, because they had so many injuries at centre-back. A lot of fans, I think, thought that could be a bit of a problem. He just came in. He's been superb, like you said, even in the really, you know, big, high-tension matches, playing PSG twice, playing Juventus, playing Porto. You know, he's been really good. So good that he was, he forced his way into the squad. And here, again, you know, another test, another big test. You know, the biggest football tournament, biggest sports tournament in the world, let's face it. And uh, millions of people watching all over the world. And yeah, his, his calm and his composure, Matt, it's just something to behold, you know, for a 19-year-old. Yeah, he's pretty certain that he'll be third choice, you know, again. Uh, unfortunately, Danilo is injured, but, you know, that's a good backup to have. And I suppose looking more in the long term, I think Portugal have got a hell of a player, haven't they there? Pep, he's coming to the end of his career and uh, he's come along just at the right time because uh, you know, I think at the moment you have to say that uh, the future looks like Diaz and Antonio Silva. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, it sure does. And with Diaz on a card, of course, and Pep, he's going to be challenged now if, if Portugal keep winning. There's a pretty good chance that we might see Antonio Silva again if Portugal just... just 
keep going deep in this World Cup. Let's move on to midfield, Tom. As I mentioned before, Mateusz Nunes, he came in. He had a pretty good start, some nice passes and getting involved. He was, I guess, more in the 10th spot early on. But he really didn't have much impact at all, really not too many touches. And he kind of faded out of the game pretty quickly. What did you make of uh, Nunes here? Perhaps disappointed is a bit too harsh. But yeah, really, you know, I'm so used to seeing him, of course, at Sporting. Such a dynamic player, all-action player. But yeah, like you said, didn't really get too involved. It was interesting, the midfield, because I thought Vitinha started the game uh, very quietly. And also, positionally, I don't know, you, you may have seen this better, Matt, in a stadium. But Vitinha seemed to start quite deep, quite n- almost nearer the defenders. And then as the half went on, he got further and further forward. Nunes... Yeah, almost the inverse, isn't it? He started quite promisingly, but then really didn't get much of a touch of the ball. Yeah, I don't think he's a threat to be a starter anytime soon. We'll have to see what happens with him, but for sure, he's, uh, he's going to be a bench player for the, uh, for the knockout rounds. Uh, and Vitinha, obviously, we just talked about him. Yeah, it was like a 4-2-3-1 and then, you know, sometimes 4-3-3. We've mentioned how fluid this formation can be. So... Yeah, Bettinia got a little bit of freedom. We, we, we know how much of a threat he can be just around the edge of the 18-yard box. We saw a lot of that for the under-21 side. But some games he doesn't really push forward that much. But we saw really a lot of trademarks of Bettinia, really clever link-up play. So good with close control and being able to hold onto the ball and wriggle out of uh, situations where defenders are close to him, a little bit like Bernardo Silva. So this run-out would have done him a tremendous amount of good for his confidence. And with Ottavio's injury, he's looking like uh, he's going to get a fair bit more game time in Qatar. Definitely. That's uh, another player who certainly did his claims of, uh, you know, a place in the start in 11 or, or at least coming on from the bench. Uh, no harm at all. Yeah, really good. That uh, I agree with you uh, entirely, Matt, when you talk about that period just before half time, which I think was Portugal's best period of the game, 10, 15 minutes before half time. They really almost suffocated uh, South Korea that you know a goal looked imminent unfortunately they couldn't get the goal just uh, you know to go into the break leading but yeah Vitinho especially he was all over the place wasn't he in that period had that good shot as well well saved but like you said his uh, his intricate passing well again we talked about him in an earlier episode didn't we a, a, a couple of days ago and I was talking about that Wolves correspondent who came over to see the Portugal-Nigeria game and he was just talking about Vitinha saying how much Nunu really rated him although he never really you know got a chance at Wolves and called him Moutinho uh, uh, 2.0 <laughs> basically he's like Moutinho uh, such a neat tidy player I think perhaps Vitinha from what I've seen of him and early in his career perhaps got a little bit more creativity to him than Moutinho but uh, yeah, just really neat, clever player. You know, one of those players who really helps the fluidity of the team. He's certainly done his chances of, you know, more playing time. No harm at all. It was interesting, actually. Uh, one of the big Portuguese sites on Twitter, I can't remember which one it was, said, OK, uh, give us your 11 for Switzerland. You know, for the Switzerland, given what we've seen in the group stages. So I was just having a quick read through, uh, you know, quick flick through all of these 11s being sent in by thousands and thousands of people. And I tell you what, Matt, I suppose it might be a bit of recency bias, given what happened in the Korea game. But I'd say about 80% of them had Vitinha starting in the next game. You know, <laughs> I'm not sure about that. But, uh, but you know, uh, yeah, he certainly could have a role to play in this tournament. 
he's getting closer and closer to becoming a starter in this team. Just depends what kind of formation and tactics Santos goes with on the day. But tremendous, tremendous to see his development. And of course, Ruben Neves was the only guy who was on a booking to, to keep his place in the team, Tom. And he made a vital intervention early on when South Korea went on a, a counter-attack. He got back and made a really important challenge. And I think there are about three of his just trademark long passes, which are just beautiful, beautiful things to watch, Tom. I think two of them were sort of long cross-field balls that just landed directly on the foot of Joao Cancelo. The third one basically picked him out on the edge of the box. And that's what I've talked about so often. So I think Santos is willing to accept perhaps, you know, maybe a little bit of a lack of speed compared to some other players for that passing ability. What did you make of uh, Ruben Nevsi? I didn't actually think he had such a good game myself. I thought, I think he's been a little bit below par from what I've seen so far this tournament. It's interesting, isn't it, Matt? Him, I suppose you can interpret this two ways. Him playing yesterday, so that's he started all three games, kind of indicate that Fernando Santos looks to him as one of his kind of main men. You could also look at the fact that, okay, Neves will play this game, especially as he was on a yellow, uh, because he's not going to start the next one. And so, you know, two ways to looking at it. Uh, I think we'll come on and talk about Switzerland in a while, but uh, I just remember the game against Switzerland here, the 4-0 victory when Portugal played really well, completely destroyed Switzerland. And, uh, and they've started in that game alongside William. So I think that's another positive uh, or another kind of plus mark for, for Neves himself and his chances of playing. But yeah, I thought, to be honest, Matt, yesterday I thought he was a little bit, I didn't really see so much involvement with him. And one thing which I think has he has been a little bit exposed to this tournament is his real lack of speed. I think he has been kind of shown up a little bit in that respect, but perhaps, you know, like you said, it's just a question of getting the form formation right to get the best out of him. And perhaps Santos thinks that Portugal as a whole are stronger with the attributes which he brings to, to the team. Yeah, I wasn't suggesting he had a fantastic game. I was just saying that some of those trademark things that he's known for that we hadn't really seen in the opening two games, you know, I noticed it a lot more in this match. So yeah, I agree with what you said. Really fascinating to see what this really means as far as uh, his importance to, to this team in the eyes of Fernando Santos. Okay, let's move a little bit further upfield, Tom. Ricardo Horta, he was in the right place at the right time to get Portugal off to a great start, scoring in the fifth minute. Played all 90 minutes, but apart from that goal, not a huge amount of impact. He was uh, crying out for the ball on one occasion late on where he would have had a good chance. Kind of typical performance, pretty clever in and around the box, decent link-up play, but overall not many touches and not a whole lot of involvement. Perhaps Santos, I think, chose him because kind of trying to get a little bit of continuity, especially with Ronaldo. I suppose he's the player most similar to Joao Felix, perhaps, in this squad. Uh, Ricardo Horta, you know, Rafael Leao, a lot of people were saying he should have started, but of course completely different kind of player. I think that might have been Santos has selected Horta to kind of you know, see how he'd link up with Ronaldo and kind of, you know, same kind of movements that he'd expect if Joao Felix was there, who, of course, will almost certainly be starting the next game. Can't really say anything uh, more than what you said, uh, Matt. You know, really nice goal. Then, again, like a lot of Portugal players, didn't really have much of an impact on proceedings. Really nice to see a player outside the big three, of course, in Portugal, you know, getting his moment of glory. It's very unusual that uh, you know, players 
who don't play either for a foreign club or for one of Portugal's big three, Benfica, Porto or Sporting, even get in the squad. So for Ricardo Horta to not only get in the squad, but also get a start and score a goal in a World Cup, you know, that's that's really great credit for him. Another guy really with a, with a similar type performance, but just without the goal, was Raul Mario, a guy I talked up a bit. Really one of the form players in the squad leading up to this tournament. Just sensational for an unstoppable Benfica team this season. He got to start pretty much starting on the left wing. And then when Liao came on, he kind of moved over to the other side. Again, not a whole lot of impact here and didn't really make any claims to, to be a starter anytime soon. I think also, Matt, we have to call it how we see it and when that's what we see. I think a couple of players in this game really had poor games. João Mario, you know, I've seen a lot of him this season. You have as well for Benfica. He's been absolutely superb. His best season of his career, I think, without a doubt, club season. But uh, but yeah, he had a. I think he had a stinker, to be honest, yesterday. Really, really found it difficult to uh, get involved when he did get on the ball. You know, quite often he was shut down quite easily. It seemed uh, by the, you know, his opponents uh, lost the ball a few times, really couldn't get anything going. I think just one combination, I remember one nice combination in the second half. Hopefully this will just be a, you know, bad day at the office. I don't think we're going to see a whole lot more from Joao Mario in this tournament. Just an option off the bench, depending on what the situation is. We kind of glossed over Diogo Costa, but pretty solid game, really couldn't do anything about the goals. Lovely pass to release Diogo Delo. Something we're seeing more and more from him is that ability that you know some of those elite keepers can do, can, can be really accurate yeah. with those long passes and just, you know, from out of nothing, you think it's just going to be a pretty regulation goal kick and suddenly it's a chance on goal. So that's a tremendous part of his game. Uh, and Pep, another guy we've pretty much glossed over, but another kind of trademark performance from Pep. He played the full game, so he's going to be wanting to get into that ice bath and, uh, and get ready for this next match, which leaves one more starter, Tom. Guy we don't talk about very often, CR7, <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo. And, well, you could say he had a stinker here too, Tom. As I said, I haven't seen, I haven't been able to see many replays, conclusive, clear replays of what happened on this goal. It looked like the ball came in, he thought it was going to get cleared by someone else, and he just, just turned his back on it. It came off his back of his arm or something. Really bizarre. There's something you don't see very often. And he had some chances to get involved. Of course, he had a pretty good chance after Vitinha's shot was saved. It was a pretty difficult diving header, and he couldn't steer it on target. Had an interesting one-two with Vitinha, and then couldn't quite get the ball to Ricardo Horta. So, really nothing going right for Ronaldo here. He got subbed off in the 65th minute, something we don't see very often. But, of course, in a game like this, it was not hugely surprising. But we have seen him substituted off in three straight games, something that is very uncommon for Cristiano Ronaldo. Of course, we'll talk about what we might see from him going forward, but just his performance here, Tommy, can you just elaborate on exactly what happened for the, that opening goal for South Korea? Yeah, well, that was exactly it. He just kind of jumped up, turned his back. I don't think he expected the ball to come to him. And yeah, just ricocheted off him. Left the South Korean with a, you know, an easy chance to put it in the net. It's interesting, actually, he's quite an important part of Portugal's defensive structure on set pieces. He's always there for, you know, when Portugal are defending corners, it's usually because of his height, of course, and his, uh, his prowess in the air. But yeah, I got this one completely wrong. Amazing, isn't it, Matt? We never really thought we'd, well, I certainly never thought I'd see this. I think he's really suffering from a lack of confidence. One of the best players ever to play the game, uh, who kind of exudes confidence from every pore in his, <laughs> in his body for, for the last 20 years. You know, it it's just seems amazing to be saying it, but I think he... 
he really is suffering from a lack of confidence. Just, uh, uh, you know, there's chances he's kind of snatching at them. He's snatching at them, isn't he? He's kind of really anxious. Things aren't coming naturally, which, you know, in the penalty area and when a chance comes up with Ronaldo, that's really what's made him the elite player he is. You know, he's such a perfect goal-scoring machine over so many years. But yeah, I think even the the other chances, you know, that diving header, like I said, really difficult to, to get that one on target. But the other ones, I remember the one in the second half, uh, you know, nice little chip ball. I think that was Vitinha, wasn't it? And a pretty good chance on his left foot, just completely missed his kick, basically. You know, he's still uh, somebody who scored 119 goals, is it, in international football? You know, just ridiculous amount of goals in his career as a whole. So the hope is, of course, that he, uh, you know, just has a good game, scores a good goal or something, and it, uh, you know, comes back and he can still play an important part for Portugal. Yeah, look, I took so long to say anything negative about Ronaldo as far as a decline goes. It was only after that game against Spain, and I think you're just seeing things, as you mentioned, different parts of his games. You're seeing that happen more and more now, where it's the first touch. It's the link-up play. Of course, we know that the dribbling and the speed is, is reduced significantly. The finishing, all those sort of just basic aspects of football. You have to keep in mind that he, he won and scored a penalty that put Portugal ahead against Ghana. Of course, his run was uh, influential in, in the opening goal against Uruguay too. So you have to keep that in mind. And you have to keep in mind just how many times he has made journalists and commentators look stupid by uh, you know, coming back and, and turning in another match-winning performance. But for sure, the people that are you know, suggesting that he shouldn't be a starter have got uh, some good evidence here to, to back up those claims. Although it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not, I don't think it's going to happen in this World Cup. But it is going to be fascinating to see what happens if Portugal are in a situation you know, chasing a game or you know, last 30, 20 minutes... Um, will Santos make that huge call? It would be a huge call, I, w- I would think, Tom, to, to take him off if Portugal, you know, are needing a winner or, you know, needing to find an equaliser. So it's going to be fascinating to see. And, of course, if extra time is involved, that's, that's going to be another, another factor. So we'll see what happens. OK, Tom, we had a few substitutions here. Uh, Santos making a triple switch in the 65th minute. Ronaldo, of course, one of them. Andre Silva coming on. I don't think there was... Really much to see there. We've already talked about the fact that Gonzalo Ramos should be ahead of him. We saw Palninha, another guy we've been curious about why he hasn't got more game time. More trademark stuff from Palninha in, <laughs> in, uh, in midfield doing his thing, breaking up play and, and showing his aggressiveness. And, and, sorry Matt, but just to put in there, and doing what he always does, as I mentioned in the last <laughs> pod, somehow avoiding a yellow card, yeah. you know? quite lucky I think on a couple of occasions but uh, but yeah thankfully he, he managed to avoid the yellow yeah for sure and I failed now a guy who you must think would have just been filthy to not see his name on in the starting team Tom but look I just feel like I'm beating a dead horse here and just being like a broken record and I think anyone that has followed me for a long time listened to our podcast for a long time would know where I stand on Mr. Rafael Liao I met an Italian journalist here he, he couldn't believe uh, Liao didn't start the first game against Ghana. And I'm sure he would have been just, just slamming Santos here for not starting him against uh, South Korea. But as I said, Tom, I, don't want to, I just don't want to say the same thing over and over again. So 
I'm just going to let you do it. What are you seeing from Liao and why didn't he start this game and what did you see from him off the bench? I think we've established it's probably his best role off the bench, so why he didn't start, uh, you know, with his speed against tiring defenders. But yeah, you know, it's just so disappointing, isn't it? What we these these kind of vibes he gives off, you know, of being basically just a little bit lazy and uninterested. Uh, you know, I'm sure he can't. You know, he wouldn't have achieved what he has achieved if if that was his attitude. At least if that was his attitude all the time. You know, he's got so much potential. He's you know he's scored that super goal in the in the first game uh, and the. You know, sometimes the way he just dribbles past people and speeds past them, you just think this can be such a good weapon to Portugal. But he just doesn't really seem to have his head in the right place. I don't know. It seems that's the way it looks. You know, it's just um, it's a bit of a mystery, really. It's a bit of a mystery why, uh, you know, he is. He does kind of adopt that attitude or why he doesn't kind of try to change it. His manager at uh, Milan was saying he should try and just change his body language even if it's just to you know give give off a different kind of an image of himself because it really does look bad he did it about two or three times basically he looked like he was playing for himself in this game you know you mentioned it earlier uh, Horta they had Portugal had a good break didn't they midway through the second half or towards the end uh, Leal on the ball Horta absolutely in acres of space completely free just pass it to him and he's got a free shot on goal. No, what does he do? Leon goes forward, you know, takes a few more steps forward, ends up trying to shot himself. If he got intercepted or just dribbled wide. It was just a shot. scuff shot with, with an XG of probably 0 0.01. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know. So that was like kind of, uh, you know, that just exemplified why I'm sure that Santos, uh, you know, mm -hmm. it comes into his thinking. People saying he should start, he should start, but it must come into his thinking that he's just just isn't a team player, you know, from what we've seen. Hopefully that will change. Hopefully, you know, he's still a young player. Like I said, he's achieved and he's achieved a lot and nobody doubts his his attributes, you know, as an as a top level footballer. But he really has to become more of a team player and uh, hopefully very quickly if he wants to have some kind of a you know, effect in this World Cup. I really don't like to be too critical and I don't think I really have been about many Salazar players for a long time, but I just have to call it as I see it, Tom, and I've been seeing it for what seems quite a long time, starting at the Under-20 World Cup. And I think a lot of people are probably coming around to what I've been saying, people that have been questioning why the superstar for AC Milan, that's one of the best players in City are, who, if you watch his highlight packages, just lights it up time and time again. They've been wondering why he doesn't play for the Salazar. Well, I think you're starting to see why on a more regular basis. So, yeah, we'll move on from that, Tom. We'll have a quick little break. And uh, we'll come back and see what the reaction has been like in Portugal. Okay, Tom, what are they saying? What are the headlines in the major Portuguese newspapers this morning? Well, Again, you'll never guess who's been the focus of most of the attention, of course. A certain Cristiano Ronaldo. A lot being made of that uh, substitution and his reaction when he was substituted. So let's have a quick look at the, uh, at the papers. Abola, their front cover. They've got actually Cristiano Ronaldo with that uh, P 
picture of him with his finger, with his index finger in front of his mouth. Uh, and the headline is, shut up. <laughs> uh, Sub-headlines, bring on Switzerland. Uh, defeat serves as warning for the Salasal. Last six, last 16 match on Tuesday. Uh, and then it's then uh, kind of underneath the picture of Ronaldo. It says, moments of high tension when Cristiano Ronaldo was substituted. Captain and Fernando Santos forced, in quotation marks, to explain after images suggested a disagreement. Record. They also have Ronaldo on the front cover and their headline is Learn the Lesson. Subheadlines. Portugal lose again. They could afford to lose, I suppose you'd say in English. In English. But from now on, no room for error. Switzerland waiting in the last 16. Uh, again, talking about the Ronaldo uh, incident. Ronaldo unhappy at substitution. I told a Korean to shut up. That's uh, Ronaldo's explanation. Fernando Santos, he was angry at an opponent. Ujogo, they go for their uh, headline is Kenga Visa. This is quite difficult to translate. That's from a Portuguese saying, which is Kenga Visa Amigoé, which means basically uh, people who give us advice or people who warn us, they are our friends. And so, uh, again, Fernando Santos talked about this game being a warning. Subheadlines, Fernando Santos rotation benefits Paulo Bento's Korea. Also on that note, uh, Portugal is the only country with two coaches in the knockout phase of this World Cup. So good moment of pride for Portugal there and Portuguese football kind of exemplifying how Portuguese coaches are very much in demand nowadays. Just want to highlight another tweet from a guy, really good journalist and a funny journalist, always kind of tweeting uh, sarcastic tweets a little bit, uh, called Rogerio Casanova, journalist for Spresso newspaper, I think. He just made a mock-up of uh, Sic Noticias, uh, a tweet, uh, you know, a kind of supposed tweet, which they could have sent. And it, it's just so funny, the nail on the head with this all Ronaldo business. And it's like this, this is in Portuguese, so I'm going to translate it into English. His tweet was, why does Ronaldo insist in being the center of attention? <laughs> Don't miss, this is Signotisi, so it's a TV channel. Don't miss, coming up, a special debate on the topic, lasting four hours and with 17 specially invited guests. <laughs> so I thought that was just so spot on. You know, why does Ronaldo insist on being the center of attention? It's the whole kind of, uh, you know, I'm sometimes a bit critical of the foreign media and their focus on him, but I tell you what, the Portuguese media is pretty much exactly the same. You know, everything has to be about Ronaldo. And, uh, you know, just looking at that match yesterday, uh, it really wasn't about him, especially that sub, you know, it was nothing, was it? It was really a nothing incident, another nothing incident, which has just been blown out or tried to be blown out of all all kind of proportions. I suppose that's something we will not get away from until the day Cristiano Ronaldo retires. When he got substituted off, obviously I was that was that's my time to get a, a little bit of writing done and, and sort of take my eyes off the action. And then all I noticed was that Pep got involved with, with someone. I watched uh, Cristiano as he made his way off the off the touchline to go into the dugout and yeah of course he hadn't had a, he hadn't had a good game and the, the game wasn't going so well so naturally he's not going to be too happy but for me, it was just nothing. It was just, you know, I guess they were upset that he was taking a bit long to, to walk off the pitch and they wanted to get a move on because they had to win the game. So that's just the way I read it. Nothing really to report. And then, you know, I get home and I, was, I threw on YouTube and I could see one of the uh, ESPN 
um, you know, one of their little segments there was just <laughs> just focusing on that, um, like it was worthy of, of, of a huge discussion, you know. And I'm just thinking, oh man, by the way, we've talked about this so often, and you just nailed it. So yeah, it is what it is. But yeah, interesting, I guess, to hear those headlines and yeah, not making a whole lot. I don't think out of the actual result here, the benefits really was 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 Delo. I mean, I just looked at it as you know, it was great to see what Delo can do, and he put himself in the frame. And of course, Virginia, we talked about him. So I think it was just useful to see just for those two guys to get a start and then show what they can do. And that's pretty much how I walked away from that particular game. It was just really another one of those games that I've said so often. There's just really nothing to say here. There's really nothing to draw any mass conclusions here. We move on. Okay, Tom, let's have another little quick break and we'll come back and look ahead to Switzerland. Okay, Tom, now we know Portugal's opponent in the round of 16, it's Switzerland. And this is not a glamour tie by any means, is it? Two teams that know each other very well, played each other many times. And of course, just recently, Tom, in the Nations League, they met each other twice in June. The first match in Lisboa, you were at, and Portugal crushed them 4-0. And the second leg in Geneva, I was there. And, uh, well, Portugal crushed them again, but they lost 1-0. So uh, just give us a little bit of a snapshot. What was your memories of that 4-0 win in Lisboa? One of the most enjoyable games I've been to for for a long time, this was. Uh, yeah, Portugal played really well. I remember, I think, writing afterwards that I thought this was possibly the best performance under Fernando Santos. They were really so dominant, start to finish. So attacking, but really cohesive as well. Good defensively. Just made mincemeat of, uh, of Switzerland that night, you know, so... Yeah, same again would be would be uh, something amazing. Like you say, they've played each other a lot. They certainly will go into this game quite confident, I think, Portugal and Portugal's players. And, you know, that could be quite a, an important psychological advantage, even from Switzerland's side, you know. I think they they must be thinking or they must be knowing, you know, that this is a side who's really pretty much dominated us, like you said, in those June games. I suppose an interesting thing we can look at, Matt, is the lineup used in that game, you know. Like I said, Portugal was so dominant that it might uh, it might persuade or you know or give uh, Fernando Santos the idea of doing something similar. And uh, in that in that game, uh, the, he used the four-two-three-one, and it was William and Neves. So of course that's going to be interesting. William, I think, has been very good uh, this World Cup. Even yesterday, I thought he did okay when he came on. Uh, Neves, we've discussed him, you know, perhaps not standing out, you know, brilliantly, but he's uh, he started all three games. Seems to be one of Santos's, you know, go-to players now. So I suppose that's the interesting thing to see if uh, Santos will go for a similar formation and similar personnel in that kind of key area at the base of midfield. One interesting thing also I remember from that match is uh, Otavio having a really good game. But uh, I don't know what his injury situation is. Let's wait and see. I've been calling for Joao Polina to start. You know, I think him and William would be a good base of the midfield if he went for the uh, 4-2-3-1, which, you know, Portugal have been quite successful with in recent months. But, uh, you know, given what happened in June at Alvalade, 
uh, you know, that may give Neves more of a chance of starting. Yeah, it's interesting because the back six, if you want to call it that, was identical in both games. Uh, it was actually uh, Rui Patricio in defence and then Nuno Menge, uh, Joao Cancelo in the fullback positions, Pep partnered Danilo, as you mentioned, Ruben Neves. Uh, Bruno Fernandes started both games and Otavio started both games. So we have to remember that those two games were in the middle of that ridiculous run of fixtures where they played like four games in 12 days and they you know, had like a few days rest coming off their club, club games. So there were a whole lot of difficulties for Fernando Santos. And I remember that second game in Geneva. That was Vitinha's debut or his first start it was. And we had a front line of Otavio, Leal and Andre Silva. I don't think any of those guys played really well that day. So signs are pretty good for Portugal in the matchup, considering that, as I said, Portugal just bossed the whole game and it was really a second-string attack in that game in Geneva. And, of course, in the first game, you're at time, we saw uh, Ronaldo score two goals in between uh, William Carvalho and uh, and Joel Cancelo. So if you look at what Switzerland have been doing at the World Cup, they started off with a 1-0 win against Cameroon, a game that I was at and almost fell asleep. And then they lost uh, 1-0 against Brazil, uh, a game that almost sent everybody to sleep who was watching it. This last game they had didn't send anybody to sleep at all, did it? It was a 3-2 win. And uh, Shakiri, Embolo and Freuler. And I guess if we're looking at differences in the Swiss team than the one that lined up against Portugal in those two games in June, then Embolo would have to be one of those guys. And he didn't start, it was Seferovic. So he's a guy that um, you know Portugal are going to have to look out for very physical and fast player but we haven't really seen any changes it's pretty much been a, a consistent team from Murat Yakin I guess Elvedi will come back into central defense yeah I don't think we'll see really any changes to the starting side that uh, that got the job done against Serbia Tom there's no suspensions here it doesn't look like there's any injuries so there's not going to be a whole lot of surprises uh, I guess Jan Sommer of course will come back in goal but not a whole lot of unpredictability with them. Dennis Zakaria, a very talented midfielder, but he's not 100% fit, so he'll be another option off the bench. One thing in Portugal's favour is that they're going to be predictable, Tom. And another thing, we just mentioned that Portugal just completely smashed them in both games, although, of course, they did lose that game 1-0 in Geneva. So, not a whole lot of threat, I wouldn't think, here. But, of course, we know anything can happen in football, and we know that these sorts of comments can come back to bite you in the ass pretty hard if the result doesn't go Portugal's way. Of course, Ruben Dias will come back into the side in central defence to partner Pep. And we'll, of course, have Bruno Fernandes and Bernardo Silva. And, and then João Félix. There's not a whole lot of room to manoeuvre for Fernando Santos. And, of course, I guess we need to throw William into that mix. Another guy who you would have to say is going to be a starter. So, Tom, any other thoughts on those guys I just mentioned coming back into the starting side? Just a little bit on Switzerland. So, I've actually... Uh, of course, being at home, you've got the advantage that you can switch games. And so and I started watching Brazil against Cameroon. But then, uh, you know, as the goals started coming in and in the other match, I switched over. And uh, I have to say, very impressed with Switzerland, especially in the second half. You know, really, they just their level of control and their level of calmness as well. Their, their third goal, really beautiful goal, you know, so well constructed, clever goal. And... Uh, and you know, because this was everything was riding on this game, wasn't it? So I was, I was impressed with them. Uh, certainly, it's going to be a tough game, without a doubt. I don't think, looking at the way they played yesterday, if Switzerland play, you know, anything like that against Portugal, you know, I can't really see Portugal repeating what they did to them in Lisbon. For me, the big question is 
Ruben Neves and William Carvalho, or William Carvalho and João Paulinha. Uh, very physical side, Switzerland. You know, you've got Shaka there, you know, him right in the, in the centre of midfield, probably playing the best football of his, of his life. You know, I remember a couple of seasons ago, people in, in England and Arsenal supporters were, you know, he'd almost been ostracised from that club because of his disciplinary problems and I think it fell out with some of his teammates. He's been brilliant for them. You know, they're, they're flying, aren't they, top of the league and he's been one of their best players. And yesterday, again, he was really good. And he's a really strong physical player, so I wouldn't be surprised if Polinia maybe came in to, you know, to make Portugal a little bit more robust in, in the middle of the pitch. The full-backs, I'm pretty sure he'll do what he did in this game. Guerreiro has shown in past tournaments especially that he can be a little bit weak with big physical confrontations. And I think Cancelo you know, gives you a bit more muscle there. We're going to have Shakiri, who is a... You know, a stocky, strong, aggressive player. And uh, yeah, you mentioned the benefits of, uh, of Joao Cancelo ahead of Guerrero. And uh, I would agree with that. So let's see what happens. Let's see what Santos does. And let's see how this game plays out. We'll take a quick break and then we'll just wrap things all up. Man, I love my woman. But we can't see out of Okay, Tom, I mentioned before the tournament that to win any major tournament, particularly a World Cup, you need a few things going in your favour. The first one is injuries, and we saw a couple of blows for Portugal. Of course, Diogo Jota, the main one, Pedro Neto, a guy that probably wouldn't have had a lot of game time anyway, but he was out. Uh, I guess you could throw Renato Sanchez, a guy that wasn't injured, but certainly wasn't called up because of uh, concerns about his fitness. And then in Qatar, we've had basically three players go down, haven't we? Otavio and Danilo, and then Nuno Mendes, who is a, a huge blow, a huge blow losing Nuno Mendes. But Portugal march on, but uh, clearly they're not uh, at full strength, particularly with Mendes and Diogo Jota out. Another one we needed to keep an eye on was, was form and players in form. And uh, I guess the main one would be Bruno Fernandes. He is just in the form of his life couple of assists in the first game, two goals in the second game, didn't feature at all here. So he's really one of the players to look out for. You also need a bit of luck, don't you, Tom? Well, any game, sometimes luck can play a part. You hit the post, the other team hits the post, or referee decision, a red card, who knows what it could be. We, of course, can't forget Ruben Dias hitting the post in that game against Belgium from like two yards out with a free header. So fine margins can often be a huge factor in the results of football games. And another thing I keep talking about, Tom, is path to the final. I just think this is so huge. And I know I've talked about it a bit, but I left it till now. Now we know exactly what Portugal have to do to get to the final in Qatar. And I just wanted to bring it up again, Tom. Well, I'll start actually with Argentina in 2014. You know, they were in a really favorable part of the draw. They had Switzerland in the round of 16. They got past them 1-0. Then they had Belgium, got past them 1-0. And then they had the Netherlands in the semi-finals, and uh, you know that went all the way. It was nil-nil after extra time. They got the job done in a penalty shootout, and then of course took Germany all the way and uh, conceded an extra time, going down in the final. So that just shows you what a what a favourable run to the final can do for you. If you look on the other side of the draw, France met Germany in the quarterfinals, and Germany got the job done. And then, well, 
no one's ever going to forget the semi-final between Brazil and Germany, are they? Where Brazil, <laughs> you know, were, were favoured in that game. Of course, you know, the absence of Neymar was a factor, but you know, Germany winning seven-one, just a, an incredible matchup and an incredible result. But you you have to say that Argentina had a very favourable run to the final in 2014, and they took advantage of that. And if we look in 2018, Tom, you know, Portugal blew it in many ways. They conceded that penalty against Iran in the 93rd minute, which cost them top spot. And, uh, you know, they went into a difficult part of the draw. Of course, Uruguay was their, their first uh, challenge, and they, they lost. But even if they had got through that game, France were waiting in the quarterfinals, the team that, of course, ended up winning the tournament. And if they had have got the job done against Iran, Tom, they would have been in Spain's position, which was uh, Russia in the round of 16. Of course, it didn't work didn't work out well for Spain. They lost against Russia in a penalty shootout, but if Portugal had have been there and they got past Russia, you would have been looking at Croatia and then England to get to the final. So I do think it's massive. I do think it's massive. And of course, we know exactly what Portugal have to do to get to the final. We've got Switzerland, we just mentioned. And if they get through that, it's going to be the winner of Morocco and Spain. And then, of course, you're lined up against what should be either England or France in the semi-finals, which is going to be a huge challenge if Portugal make it that far. And then, of course, you would have to be pretty hard-pressed to think it's not going to be Argentina or Brazil. One of those teams get through in the other side of the draw. So what do you make of all that, Tom? Injuries, form, path to the final, luck? Other, other teams have had injuries as well, haven't they? I don't think the injury situation, I mean, it's quite unusual, isn't it, to go into a tournament with 100% you know fit squad there's always one or two aren't they so yeah I think the Menders one for me that was a, a really big blow but you know I think if we see Dallow right back and uh, Cancelo left back for the rest of this tournament uh, I think that could be quite a good combination so again perhaps not an a mortal blow for Portugal and uh, yeah form I think that's a really that's a really really big point uh, Matt I think that's one you can't underestimate at all Portugal won Euro 2016. I think a huge, a huge reason for that was that uh, in that club season, there was an epic title race between Sporting and Benfica. Benfica just won it at the end. And Sporting had a really good season, quite unlucky not to win the championship. And that midfield, William Carvalho, Adrian Silva, João Mario, they just took that form into the Euro 2016. Uh, and then who was the other midfielder? Renato Sanchez. That was the season he exploded onto the scene at Benfica. Absolutely superb. That's the huge reason behind Portugal winning Euro 2016, no doubt about it. This World Cup, uh, I think you've got some players and some key players in good form. You know, we've talked about Bruno Fernandes, the main one. He's just been outstanding for Portugal really last year and a half, but he's really seems to be at the top of his game now he's playing better for United as well isn't he so that's a huge boost for Portugal Bernardo Silva we've mentioned him in the earlier pods okay he hasn't really stood out but I think he's played really well so far Joao Felix you know he's a man with a point to prove he was superb in that first game against Ghana uh, he'll be well rested that could be another you know really big boost for Portugal and then Dalot, like you mentioned, Diogo Costa, you know, just again, you can say kind of exploding onto the scene, announcing himself as one of the best goalkeepers in, in European football. And also, I think another, another really huge boost for Portugal, which you probably can't underestimate, probably won't get too many headlines, but I think is just the, the form and the return of Pep. You know, he's been, he hasn't put a foot wrong these two matches. He is such a, a, a key player for Portugal. You know, I think 
no doubt about it. Him and Ronaldo have been Portugal's best players last 15 years or so. And you could argue now, I think Pep is probably the, mo- the more important of the two for Portugal. And I think him being fit is is a really key situation. So, yeah, you know, from that point of view, I think it's quite hopeful for Portugal. As for the path, one thing which I was really pleased of, Matt, uh, was that incredible day, wasn't it? Was it Wednesday? When the Spain, Germany, Japan group played out, just the most, <laughs> who yeah. would have guessed, you know, just an absolutely amazing drama that was. But again, I, I'm actually quite pleased with how that worked out for Portugal because I kind of resigned myself to the fact that Germany would finish second and then we'd faced them, Portugal. Hopefully, if they got through, of course, they, they would have faced them in the quarterfinals. And I wouldn't really have liked that matchup at all. I know Germany haven't been great. Well, obviously, weren't great at all. They're out, aren't they? I don't know. It's just past history, Matt. <laughs> and just the, their style of play and even the... European club competitions between Portuguese clubs and German clubs. It's, you know, they just seem to, their style of play just seems to be the antidote to, to Portugal's game. And so I wouldn't have been confident of facing them at all. Spain, on the other hand, uh, you know, you were at the match recently that Portugal lost, but come on, let's face it, Portugal, very unlucky to lose it. This Spain isn't the Spain of 2010, you know, it isn't the, the great Spain side. Uh, they're obviously very good side, still got their own tiki-taka style and, you know, they can be dangerous. But uh, I would actually, you know, quite fancy Portugal's chances, I'd say it's about 50-50. Uh, and also, uh, I suppose, <laughs> we can't rule out the possibility of Morocco causing an upset because, uh, you know, they've been very good, haven't they, so far this tournament. But perhaps not best to talk too far into the future because we've got Switzerland to start with. If you told me before the tournament that at the last 16 stage, Portugal would be facing Switzerland and if they win that, they'd be playing the winner of Morocco against Spain for a place in the semi-final, I would have bitten your hand off. I think that's quite good. Yeah, I think it's about as good as could be. Obviously, I would have preferred Japan in that spot where Spain is, but apart from that, it's not too bad. And we know anything can happen. But, um, yeah, if all goes well, Portugal will beat Switzerland. Then they get some revenge against the Spanish side that have shown a bit of... Um, have shown a few weaknesses at this tournament time. Of course, they've got some really young players and inexperienced players. Their central defence just isn't what it used to be. And, of course, that loss that they had in Braga was really a situational thing we've seen repeatedly when Portugal need a result or a draw. They struggle to close it out. I think, overall, it's pretty good. Avoiding Brazil in the round of 16 is exactly what you wanted. And Portugal have done that, so let's keep the faith, Tom. Let's stay positive and let's hope for a good performance and a victory against Switzerland. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for the support. Enjoy the match. Bordesar.
Change the thing. 